Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's, or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Reggie Miller. You guys know who Reggie Miller is, right? I don't have to give you his current or his priors. Asked a clickbaity question on Twitter immediately after Kevin Durant played 48 minutes and James Harden played 46 in the Nets' Game 5 win over the Milwaukee Bucks to take a 3-2 series lead. Miller wondered if Steve Nash and the Nets should sit Harden and Durant for Game 6 and, in Reggie's words, push all their chips to the center of the table for Game 7. Now, first of all, Steve Nash is not making that decision. I'm not even sure that Sean Marks, the GM, is making that decision. My guess is that Kevin Durant, James Harden are making that decision. But Reggie, in essence, is introducing load management to the playoffs. As if we haven't seen enough of it. Or, ah, I don't know what else to say. Thanks, Reggie. I'll leave it at that. The weird... The weird part of this is, Reggie was not a guy who ever took a game or a practice off when he was playing. When Larry Bird took over uh, as coach of the Indiana Pacers, it was during a lockout. And I had just started at ESPN, at ESPN the magazine. And I got wind of the fact that Reggie and Mark Jackson and the Indiana Pacers collectively were so afraid of disappointing Larry Legend 
that during the lockout, they were running full practices on their own auspices at the Pacers facility. Wind sprints, you name it, because they wanted to be ready whenever the lockout was over in order to be able to meet Larry Bird's demands. I convinced ESPN the magazine that I should go and do a story on it. So they flew me to Indianapolis and indeed I did. But my point is like Reggie was fearful of not being in shape. He was a military brat. He approached his career with the resolute discipline of a drill sergeant sergeant. Same extensive shooting routine well before every game. Got lathered before every game. Played through all sorts of nagging injuries. He was not particularly athletic. Uh, He only averaged 18 points for his career. You'd think by the way people talk about Reggie Miller as a scorer that he was one of the all-timers. He did it on guile and repetition and discipline and a lot of craftiness. James Harden is not the first to do what he does. Reggie Miller preceded him in that category. But he did not miss games. He played all 82 games, four consecutive seasons, five times in all. And in 14 of his 18 seasons, he missed three games or less. He was as much a grinder as he was an Iron Man. And he's the one suggesting KD and Harden take a playoff game off? A playoff game? It's why whenever Reggie is talking on TV, I'm never sure if he really means what he's saying. Or he's just saying it for effect. As it turns out, though, it looked as if KD and Harden adopted the idea of saving themselves for Game 7 because they assuredly did not extend themselves attempting to win Game 6. They both played 40 minutes, but how they played underscored once more for me the silliness of minutes restrictions. Their lack of intensity was reflected most clearly by being lackadaisical with the ball, committing 11 turnovers between them. KD had 7. It's possible to play 20 minutes harder than the 40 those two exhibited last night or earlier tonight. And I don't say that as someone who doesn't appreciate how naturally taxing the NBA game is. I've played pickup with a few pros over the years and knew they were only going three-quarter speed. And still, the ground they could cover closing on you or slipping through a gap felt otherworldly, like it was some CGI transportation trick one second they were over there and the next they're right here so i i fully admire respect the energy and effort and athleticism that goes into simply being on an nba court that said they didn't bring it like a meaningful regular season game much less a playoff game Aside from the Nets showing up but not giving maximum effort, a gamble that actually fits perfectly with how they ambled through the regular season, there were a few interesting developments to keep an eye on as to whether or not they carry over to Game 7. I wondered, since 
Harden showed up for Game 5, why the Bucks didn't go harder at him, making him test the hamstring that is clearly still limiting him and kept him out of all but the first minute of Game 1 until he suited up for Game 5. Not only is he dealing with the hamstring, but it looks as if he's gained back the weight he had at the start of the season with the Rockets. Most people have seasonal bodies, summer body, a winter body, etc. Harden has city bodies, and it looks as if he's back to his Houston one. His long-range shooting and trickery allowed him to manufacture 16 points, 11 more than he had in Game 5. But his defense was more non-existent than usual, reflected in his plus-minus of minus 19. KD, at times, has been the Nets' best defender in this series, and he was a minus 25 despite scoring 32. The hitch in playing Harden is that the Nets can't afford to fall behind, and that demands playing fast, and Harden simply can't do it. Now, the Nets haven't really been a fast-break team throughout this series. Nets have, uh, the Bucks have done a nice job of getting back in transition for the most part. Uh, the Nets did none of that in this game. The Bucks outscored the Nets 26-4 to in fast break points, largely because Brooklyn as a team made a little left to get back in transition, and they couldn't push the pace with Harden at point once they got the ball back. I don't know how much intentional strategy there is in what the Bucks are doing, uh, because I've wondered just how much intentional strategy they have doing anything in this series, but particularly when it comes to attacking Harden and testing his tender hamstring, they had great success in putting him in a help position and then going in that direction. There was no chance he was going to sink or dig and then run back out to contest a corner three. So if he was on the weak side and they swung the ball from the strong side or attacked from the strong side and dribbled, sort of diagonally into the paint where Harden had to make a decision. Do I stay home on the three or do I come in and help or do I come help and then chase out? Uh, they got easy bucket after easy bucket. Most of the time, Harden just stood in no man's land. Giannis Antetokounmpo and Drew Holiday were particularly effective driving to where the Nets' primary defender would expect help from Harden and then not getting it. As you watch Game 7, if the Bucks are as diligent about getting to the paint to set up everything else as they were in Game 6, keep an eye on who they're driving at on the back line to see if it's hardened once again and how much success they have as a result. Speaking of Giannis, finally, finally he approached the game offensively the way I've been insisting that he should. Only one time can I remember him driving from the top of the key in a half-court set, spinning and, as usual, getting stripped, because he simply didn't try driving from the top of the key in half-court sets for the better part of the game. I only remember that one instance. Now, there were times where he attacked, but he could see where the defense was and... He attacked quickly enough or from an angle where there was no help there. So there was no need for him to spin. Generally, when he spins, 
it doesn't turn out it doesn't turn out well especially if he has to spin early now the net's laziness and transition allowed him to euro his way to the cup time and again in fast break situations but in half court sets he got the ball invariably at the pinch post or the mid post faced up or backed his way down and either looked to score from the paint or kick it out after sucking in the Nets defense around him. It's no accident that he only had three turnovers, tying his low in the series. I think it was game two, he also had three. Since then, he's either had four, five, like five is the top, but he also wasn't plagued by foul trouble from offensive charges, finishing with only two fouls total. More important, it slowed the game down for him. On the catch, he could survey where everybody was and where the help might come from. When he pivoted to face up, he could see the line he needed to take to get into the paint. He also did a nice job of staying with his left and finishing with it if necessary. And he did not take a single three but knocked down six of his ten free throws. I have to think that his efficiency and poise scoring on the floor carried over to the line where he looked much more comfortable. This is the way he should play every night. It's being able to see the floor. When he's attacking from the top of the key, he's moving fast and he has to make decisions fast. And he's not good at making quick decisions. It's the way I saw him play for good stretches during the regular season and why I expected to see more of it in the playoffs. His vertical and length, once he gets two feet in the paint, make him almost impossible to stop. And if you do pay so much attention to him, crowd him in order to stop him in those situations, it means there's people open on the perimeter, ready to attack from a different angle or knock down a three especially for a team playing as small as the Nets. They have to make him play in a crowd once he gets into the paint. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. That said, I'd be all for the refs, including his routine, before letting them give him the ball as part of his 10 seconds. It's gotten so ridiculous that at one point, in game six, the referee allowed him to pantomime his shooting motion twice. He, he was just waiting. 
I don't know. There was a mis- miscommunication between him and the and the referee with the ball standing on the baseline. But that's where Harden, James Harden, kind of lost it. It, it. Gestured like, "What the hell's going on here?" Uh, and and then Giannis asked for the ball. In any case, the whole process is just too long. In an age where every sport is trying to speed things up, eliminating timeouts pitching changes, etc. We've got Giannis turning every single free throw into a 30-second exercise. And if he were shooting a great percentage, I'd say, okay, he's on to something or it works for him, whatever. But the extended routine isn't producing effective results. And a player is generally more effective when he has less time to think about what he is doing, not more. As for Giannis taking on the challenge of defending KD... Well, it happened a few times, but it was almost by accident. Situations where the Bucks were getting back on D and simply had to pick up whoever was closest to them. Why the Bucks have two first-team all-defensive players and Drew Holiday and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they invariably do not get the assignment to cover Durant. That is left solely to P.J. Tucker and Chris Middleton. I have no idea. It's not as if the way KD plays or the Bucks are set up that the help comes from one of those two defensive players. It generally comes from Brooke Lopez. So I don't know what to tell you. What I found interesting and again worth watching in Game 7 is how Durant reacts to having Giannis on him. Now, I don't believe KD is afraid to attack anyone or is of the mind that there's anyone who can keep him from scoring. But the few times I saw Giannis on him, he did not even attempt to score, simply swinging the ball and looking for someone else to go get a bucket. And I have to think, KD has not seen players his size, sort of his build, his athleticism, defending him. Because they really don't exist. He's a... He's a unique, he's a unicorn. So is Giannis. Unicorn was staring at another unicorn. Now, was he thinking, I've got their best defender on me. We've surely got a better matchup somewhere else. Or was he thinking, this game is already a wash. No need to show Giannis anything from my bag of tricks that I might want to use against him in game seven. Whatever the reason, it did what the Bucks have been trying to do all series, which is chloroform KD and keep him from wreaking offensive havoc. I just wonder, if the Bucks watch, look at the tape, will they perhaps spring in Game 7 Giannis on KD, at least on a more intentional, regular basis? I'll be interested to see. One final note on the situation with former, former Dallas Mavericks coach Rick Carlisle who resigned from the team with two years left on his contract. I can tell you this. I am sure the athletic piece, in which it suggested he was kowtowing to both analytics wizard Bob Volgaris and the team star, Luka Doncic, chapped Rick's hide to no end. I don't know if it would be enough for him to outright resign over that, but maybe... 
because Rick doesn't like being told what to do. He will play the aw shucks, I'm just happy to have a job routine. But there are few people more confident in their own intelligence. He also can be surprisingly sensitive. And so the idea that he was subverting his own ego and his own idea of what was necessary to win and be successful in order just to hang on to his job, I don't know that there's a greater insult for a guy like Carlisle. So, I, look, I wrote a piece about him when he was with the Detroit Pistons, a piece that I thought was pretty complimentary. But there was a line in it he didn't like, and he came to me and said, how could you write that? Why would you write that? Now, I didn't see the line as derogatory at all, and I can't recall now what it pertained to. But he was clearly wounded by it. And it surprised me how wounded he was by it because he generally has this above-it-all, ruffled-by-nothing demeanor. Of course, he might find what I just said is insulting, so, ah, well. What I've been told is that he and Chauncey Billups are very interested in the Bucks job if they decide to can Mike Budenholzer. I suspect that's because, in part, of their ownership. Mark Lazary is a billionaire 20 times over. And the chance to work with a seemingly selfless, selfless superstar in Giannis. That's also kind of an indictment on Budenholzer in that they think the team is underachieving and they could come in and do better. And I, I normally, as I have told you guys before, I generally li don't listen to, or I rather, I watch games with the sound off. But for whatever reason, the sound was up at one point, and I heard someone on the ESPN telecast suggesting that, or saying that Budenholzer had told them that he and Giannis had grown closer this season, which flies completely in the face of what I've heard. I'll leave it at that. As I mentioned a few podcasts ago, I could also see Carlisle going back to Boston. It's where he was drafted. And spent most of his short playing career. He's originally from New York, went to school at the University of Maine, or at least started there before he went to the University of Virginia. So I'm sure it would be nice to come full circle in his career now that he's past 60. He and Brad C Stevens also seem to be cut from the same cloth. They are both wonky, nerdy, kind of give off that tidy whitey vibe. I could easily see them hitting it off. In any case, Carlisle will land one of the available jobs if he wants one. One GM ranked him as a top five coach and that teams would line up to hire him now that he's available, as they should. I, for one, admire Luka Doncic's talent, but I'm not ready to hand over the keys to the franchise to him. Win a playoff series first. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please, please, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's much appreciated by my sponsors, by me. Always love hearing from you. Don't forget, you have something that you would like discussed or me like to have me explain on the podcast. Fire it my way via social media. Big, big, big weekend. Got. Atlanta trying to close out Philadelphia, Clippers trying to close out the Jazz, and an amazing Game 7 
with the Bucks and the Nets. I suspect that's only going to that's going to be the only game 7 that we see this weekend. But it should be a good weekend nonetheless. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.